welcome, welcome, welcome to Planning Face Syndicate, episode 77. Failure to act brings consequences, but sometimes consequences can be turned around to advantages. Welcome, everybody, to episode 77 tonight. Thank you all so much for joining us on, well, if you're in Michigan, on a cold and snowy night. We have a great episode planned tonight. Um, we have JJ joining me again. Um, George will unfortunately not be able to join us uh, for quite a while. He is in the process of moving from his old home to his new home and will not be part of the podcast for a little while. We also are going to talk about the Australian qualifier at some of the top lists. Um, we're not going to spend a lot of time, but we are going to go over a little bit um, of those. And on top of that, we are going to cover if we feel any of the hot shots and aces are going to create other points changes that AMG might have missed, or if we're going to kind of just be stuck at the end. We also are going to conclude our X-Wing and Chess Comparison Strategy Series called Chess Wing. I think that's what JJ named it, so we're going to go with Chess Wing. Unless you want to post in the comments what you would like us to name this segment. Um, but essentially, we're going to be finishing it up by talking about Endgame and how you can close those out. And I'll have a good example for my league game this week um, where I was not able to close out my Endgame and ended up losing my match um, against uh, Tecumseh Sherman. Actually, who's in the chat? With that being said, why don't I bring in my co-host for tonight, Mr. JJ. Can't believe those lions. Yo. Which I don't why, even know what that means. but I, I can't believe you're making me relive the trauma of the Detroit Lions beating the New York Giants today. Like, I... I yeah. I mean, oh, what I is it? The, the, the Lions record is what now four and seven or four, yeah, and, four six and six or something? Yeah. Like, they're coming back, baby. They're coming back. <laughs> Woohoo's the best season the Lions have had in, I don't 20 know, 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Exactly. Uh, something like that. No, but excited. Excited. Uh, this, uh, and for those who, who, don't know of course we'll be covering and or later today which i am absolutely excited to go over because this was a really good episode really enjoyed it and we got a lot to talk about towards the end can't wait for it but uh we'll do it yeah we also have a surprise segment at the very end that we're going to tie into our and or segment where we're going to actually talk about crafting the hall craft which by the way by the way JJ and I definitely do not agree on how this JJ wants this ship to have three dice, be able to shoot like in 17 directions, be able to activate 18 <laughs> times, and he wants it to be able to just like live on rocks. That's what he wants. So, you know, like he thinks it's Lies. a droid somehow. Lies. Lies. <laughs> um either which way, what we're going to do um, what we're going to do is we are going to actually craft that ship, but we're going to wait till the end of the show just because of the spoiler piece. And I want to be able to allow people, if you don't want any spoilers of any kind, to be part of that at all. So, <clears throat> JJ, how was your weekend other than getting trounced by uh, the Detroit Lions? Um, which seems pretty crazy uh, to me. 
yeah 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 it was pretty nuts uh but no pretty pretty chill uh weekend thankfully um just been able to catch up on a lot of stuff here at home and uh just getting ready for thanksgiving man it's around the corner and this is when you're trying to get all the food stuff ready and but and bought and you just don't realize how much time that takes and man there's just so much prep that goes into uh to doing these uh these preparations and on top of that just keeping a lookout for all these sales for black friday uh trying to get all that stuff i will say uh as of note that i finally got to uh do a full battle yavin scenario at my local on thursday um i enjoyed it very very much um i have a whole new appreciation for the sigma uh tie interceptors that came in with that pack uh those are very very good interceptors uh, a lot of fun and i uh i managed to pull off the win just at the end there um but it was a very very close game all throughout that's cool. I have not been able to play that yet, and I'm hoping this week, given that it is Thanksgiving and it should be a little bit more lax, I'm hoping I'm going to find somebody at my locals that wants to play with me <laughs> because I really want to do Like, I even try to bribe my kids and be like, this is the fun part of X-Wing. Like, you don't like the dogfight piece, but here's here's where we get to recreate a cool scenario. And so essentially what I've told my kids is... There will be a Star Wars movie marathon if they don't want to play the Battle of Yarvin with me, unless I could find somebody at my locals to actually play with me. Then I don't care. Then they can do whatever the hell they want. Um, so we all, it's funny, all of us bought it and we've just, none of us have put it on the table. So um, I'm hoping, because Mondays have been spent prepping for Rust Cup that we have coming up here in three weeks. Um, so we haven't really spent a lot of time uh, with it. I have been playing a little bit more with Dooku. Though I'm still not sold that Dooku's really going to be worth taking competitively, even at six points, unfortunately. Um, I don't know. So we'll see. Well, I, th I think we'll see <clears throat> kind of how it goes um, for that. Really quick kind of housekeeping announcements. Uh, uh, so I guess I've been a bad host and I have not really paid attention to our Patreon. I apologize if you have been a part of our Patreon. I will be working this week to go through all of my Patreon stuff and, and, and send messages out. If you are part of the Patreon, hey, now's a great time to jump on board because uh, I got to figure out. I, I didn't know we even had Patreon so until now. And I feel really bad because for some reason, my not email notifications were not getting sent to me. I don't I, I do not know why, um, but I'm not getting a lot of the notifications. So if you've been a part of our Patreon um, we will be doing something for you uh, for this quarter and for this month and stuff like that and for last month. Um, and, and I will be sending out a message to anybody that is part of our Patreon group um, so that we could kind of talk a little bit about that. Um, especially because I think we promised like a private show for everybody too. So um, we will definitely have to try to squeeze one of those in or a couple of those in yeah. here coming up. So. If you aren't part of our Patreon and you want to join, <laughs> links below. But anyway, other than that, uh, I had a pretty decent weekend too. I went and got to see my favorite uh, band of all time, MXPX in Chicago. Despite the weather, it did not stop us. We drove out there. Uh, Nick from 312 gave us a great uh, restaurant recommendation that was not deep dish pizza, thank God, because it's not real pizza. And um, <laughs> sorry, just had to say that. Um, and so what we did is we went to this Harry Carries, I think is the name of it. And it had a lot of like uh, sports memorabilia, which eh, I don't really care a lot for, but the food was pretty good. So the food was really, really 
um, really good. And I got to have like this chicken vossway or something like that, which is like um, traditional to Chicago, which I never knew or heard of. Um, so that was fun. And then we had a great concert. Um, got to see them. They played for like almost an hour and a half. And then we drove back and we didn't hit snow in Michigan, ironically, because we missed the snow leaving and coming back until 2.30 in the morning. And then it took another hour to go <laughs> to go like 20 minutes on the road. So, wow. Yeah, well, that was super fun. How cold was it over there in the, in the concert? Was it like open air or inside of a stadium? It was inside. It was at the House of Blues. So it was very oh, okay. warm inside. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We had to wait outside while they wanded everybody and did the stupid metal detector thing. And that was cold. <laughs> that was very cold. Very, very cold. Especially because I didn't have enough whiskey to keep me warm either. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I will say if you ever go to that Harry Carries, they had I got a um uh not a Manhattan, goddamn, what's the other one? Oh, an old fashioned. And whatever the bitters they use, like tasted like like dark chocolate. It was oh my god, just so fantastic. Like it was like, oh, this tastes like candy. Oh, <laughs> this is candy whiskey. That's awesome, actually. Yo, yeah. I, I gotta try that. Yeah, awesome. I had two of them. So, so when, oh, maybe when JJ, if you're going to come out to Adepticon, maybe when you come out to Adepticon, we will take a ride downtown, downtown, and I'll take you to that restaurant. Maybe, especially if you're going to come in for the last chance qualifier, which is ironically the second announcement we wanted to make. They are holding a last chance qualifier. They did not tell us what day it was. Rumor has it, it'll be either Wednesday or Thursday um, of that week. I have officially taken Wednesday through Sunday off of work. Um, and depending on when the last chance qualifier is, if it's only going to be Wednesday, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, but we'll probably, probably, we'll probably go out there on little sleep and play in, um, especially because the rumor is that you, if you have like a 50, 50 winning record, you get to play the next day. So, or get to play in the tournament. I mean, worst case scenario, you know, we, we get to play other games. Um, I am super excited to play, um, the Star Wars Shatterpoint. Um, they'll probably have demos out during Adepticon for that. That is a game that I'm very interested in, and I, uh, I can't wait to try it out. So yeah, it's a win-win. You know? So I have a question, JJ. If mm-hmm. if they have a last chance qualifier for Armada, which I heard they're going to, right? And it's not on the same day X-Wing is. Do you want you want to play with? Well, want to jump in? Let's play some Armada too. Yo, I will be down. One thousand percent. We'll do that. You just have to provide me with the list because my brother has all my Armada stuff. Yep. So we got to let's put a pin in that. We'll come back to that. I was thinking about that because like um, I don't think I could learn Legion fast enough to play it, but I could probably muddle my way through a fun, you know, uh, Armada list. And if worse comes to worse and we we could get into both last chance qualifiers on different days and get into (laughs) both tournaments, that would be fun right there. Hands down. Happy to do that. I would be I would be super excited by that. Heck um, yeah, yeah. So, but yes, my buddy Phil. I just have to talk to him. He told me before I could borrow his uh, his stuff for Armada. So if I can't convince him to come with me, um, out there, uh, I he had at one point told me he would. So we just had to build our list in advance. So yeah, which I'm gonna rely yeah. all on you for that, and to give me an easy list that can win with being easy. <laughs> <laughs> that would right. be awesome, man. Well, cool. Let's. Uh, that, that's enough for the. Uh, that, that that's all the announcements that I had. Um. Oh, we do have one more announcement. So Charles has been absent from the podcast. Um. For the last uh, four months, five months, based because of his move. 
and because of his, he actually took a second job um, for the last six months. He will officially be coming back um, to the podcast the first of the year. Um, so if you were very uh, happy with Charles beforehand, he'll be back and you'll get to see his uh, amazing likeness on the screen, hopefully the first weekend or second weekend in January. All right. So the first thing I wanted to do, first thing, is let's look at that Australian qualifier, right? Because I didn't even know what happened until I heard about it. And then I was like, crap, I can't believe we missed that. Um, yeah. I, I honestly, did, I couldn't believe that I had missed that. And I apologize. We would have gone through this last week, but I heard about that today. So we have a little bit of variance, but for the most part, it's pretty similar lists that what we've been seeing. It looks like Octarcon has officially taken a tournament down. So now Ryan and uh, Ryan can, he needs to eat some crow. So hopefully Ryan will say something and congratulate <laughs> Octor Khan after all the crap he's given that guy uh, for not winning. So, well, Boba Fett uh, winning the uh, a qualifier now, it means that Boba needs to be nerfed now, probably 10 to one <laughs> to remove the, the crew slot. No, no, don't do that. We, oh, yeah. When we're if done anything, with this, we can it. talk about the Boba problem in Scum, though, actually, if yeah. you would like. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. All right, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, the, the real issue, and I, I kind of do agree with Ryan, um, uh, is Kanan having the ability to have a second force with Maul or three force with the child uh, makes it very, very difficult to take down these very tanky ships, uh, the fire sprays. Um, so it can feel like a bit of a feels bad. Um, but uh, but other than that, I mean, Octarcon is a world class player. Um, I've had the the privilege to play against him a few times on GSP uh, for their tournaments, and he's just a, a just such a great player. So congrats yeah. to him. Yep. So now, if you look here, he opted for Chafe Missile on Boba Fett, even at nine points over the four points. Right? That's yeah. crazy. That's crazy. Um, but but again, obviously it works. It, it's obviously over the FTC. Um, to some extent, if you think about it, a chafe cloud works kind of as an FTC. Um, and over fearless. So you, the, essentially, this list is giving up fearless and FTC to get those chafe missiles in there. Yeah, it's a it's a very very solid option. I mean, with FCC. Uh, you can still have your opponent uh, trigger it so that way it can go off early before you want it to. With um, with Chaff Cloud, it actually gives you the agency to deploy it at your advantage uh, against your opponent. So I think that uh, that it's still the right call over FTC. Yep. In second place, and I'm you can say the name that way nobody can make fun of me for butchering it because I I am very <laughs> bad with names. Uh, Meng, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> we have uh, CIS, uh, we got Django Fetch, uh, General Grievous, Catabine, and DFS 081 uh, for that particular list here. Uh, doing some great work here. This is a CIS uh, Aces plus DFS uh, can do a lot of work here, and uh, it's it's really good. Yeah, and really the big noticeable difference here, obviously we had the hike, uh, so you lose your, um, you lose your proxies and this, they chose to go with Count Dooku in this list over VTG, which I'm not actually opposed to, if you, especially if you like the, the Count Dooku play um, in it. And Cad Bane, noticeable difference here is it has Electro Chafe missiles and Sync Laser Cannon 
Um, whereas normally we were not seeing um, Cad Bane with uh, Electro Chafe missiles. But a lot of it makes sense because you can do your cloak action, round one. And depending on where you are in the board, you can now do a five forward to the or the two boost, five forward, Shafe Cloud. Or Shafe, well, no, you can't because you have to do the Shafe Cloud first. Never mind. But you can you can still do your two forward, then shoot your Shafe Cloud, which is essentially like a five straight um, yeah. for it. So. So, kind of surprised to see that list still shows up. I didn't think Cad Bane was very viable in, in that as much as it seems, but um, I'm not 100% sure how they did cut, um, to be perfectly honest with you. So, I, I'm guessing Travis Foss is the next one. Um, yeah. And I really wanted to go through this list. I have two, because I have two, question, two questions about this list, right? Um, but we see Luke and Wedge um, with proton torpedoes, basically they're the boy Luke and Wedge. So you save that point with Wedge. You have Fenral with Swarm Tactics, um, obviously for Bodica, and you have Bodica on the screen. So I don't know where Sandy is, mm -hmm. but they would be very excited if they saw this in the top four. <laughs> we have <Yeah>. Bodica. <laughs> um, yeah. I, the question the is, second, why yeah. Mando Optics? Uh, so it allows you to take the target lock during the system phase, which allows Bodica to uh, be able to spend his actions to do the uh, reposition and focus, so you can get a double modded shot. Uh, works really, really well, especially if you can trigger Bodica's ability um, to trigger early, so that we can have that double modded shot uh, for for whenever the ability happens. Uh, it's a it's a really, really good way to. Uh, to get a really good like range one shot from uh from Bodica. So yeah. I like it. And I yeah. I think the swarm tactics, I think you don't lose a lot with wedge. It does go down to an I5, but that swarm tactics allows you to pick any any of the ships and say, hey, which one wants to which one wants to be an I6 with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the um, just being able to play uh against these battle Yavin, uh Luke and Wedges. Um, the uh, although I don't think Luke is as strong as the custom uh, Luke, where you can do like different loadouts. Uh, this wedge at five points um, with just primary weapon. I mean, it's it's really good. Still, you know, you're not getting that I six shot um, on the regular uh, in this list. You have the potential to with Fenra with that swarm tactics, but you're still getting a lot. Uh, for that wedge and it can do a lot and being able to still have the the proton torpedo to attack from range or do the range one uh, shot with wedge uh, still a really solid option for the rebels yeah so I, I like it I think that's kind of cool it's nice to see boys on the table again um, yeah you know d d doing something uh, the next list is by Nathan Skelly uh, it's kind of your standard defensive uh, Vader with Fairoff and Seven Sister, Rexler Brath with the same old things, and then an Academy pilot to uh, gum up the works. Um, Darth Vader still good. Um, it's fun seeing Rexler Brath up in up in top cut here. Um, I don't think anything's new about this list really uh, that we need to cover. Uh, Nobby also has a top appearance with Poe, Ray, and ZZ, which is, seems to be like his absolute favorite list to play ever of all times. <laughs> um, I will Go say <laughs> the trick shot on Ray is a little bit different uh, over the heroic. So um, kudos to him for not doing stupid heroic crap with Ray. There you go. 
Um, actually, yeah. none of his his ships have heroic on it. Now that I look at it, yeah, uh, definitely a, a much different version of these of these ships here. Um, specifically with uh, with ZZ um, running mag pulse and first of your paint and a shield upgrade. I mean, that's a five health uh, A wing that uh, that really discourages you taking a target lock on her. And being able to use that Mac Pulse Warheads on like Salvage Run uh, makes it a really good objective defender. Uh, Ray with heightened perception, being able to shoot at Initiative Seven to the leadership, or soften it up for uh, for Poe to shoot a proton torpedo into, uh, really really great. And then Amlin Holdo, I believe, is the token passing um, uh, upgrade card, and that's that's interesting. Like yeah, I know that Poe will be able to do like a focus and um like focus target lock on a particular ship i guess you could kind of like pass that off and just depending on the timing for it uh but uh yeah like this this list a lot yeah especially if you think about it you you have the the ability to take your target lock if you don't have to spend it for whatever reason right you now have the ability to change it i think mainly it's a it's it's to for zz right because you can do things with zz and switch things around um, because the question I have, and I can't remember, does the Falcon have a reinforce on it, or no? Uh, no, they don't. No, do they? It does not. Okay, so really, you're just passing around target locks, right? In in green tokens. I don't know. I I think it's cool. We'd have to talk to Nobby to see what what they were passing specifically, but yeah. Um, I think it's pretty good. So. If we want to scroll down a little bit, I most of these other lists are are pretty common. Um. You know, uh, Paylob, Q9, and Boba is definitely different. Usually we see Gamut in that position, or, or Kanan. Um, so getting the Paylob in there for that Ion passing is pretty decent. Um, we see a three... What is that? We see Rexler Brath, Volt Scaris, Aiden, um, and then Delmico. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, that's a Volt Scaris within the Tide Defender. That's an I-5, I think so, yeah. same thing as Rex. That's a very, very spicy uh, uh, take there for a Tide Defender. Yeah, I've not seen that before either. And I think, uh, again, I, I, I think that's pretty cool. This, that's definitely, Wing has definitely has a, a, that's a unique list I've not seen before. Um, and then further down, number 12, Odin Collins running a triple YV666 list with Boss, Morallo, and Lots Razi. Uh, that's that's really nice, especially when you look at uh, Jabba the Hutt uh, on there. Um, now, I, I'm interested in how he used Jabba, if it was specifically just to boost Zam, because Contraband Cybernetics can't be uh, triggered with Jabba anymore um so i'm just wondering how he uh, how he used that i mean that is a pretty good way to charge up zam much faster on boss uh just using um job of the hut but uh yeah it's nice so the question i have can super commando charges do they say you can't recover those two um that's a good question i don't know if java is just restricted to elicits but i'll take a quick peek here all right i'll say because that would be interesting to know if you could Otherwise, my assumption is it's for Zam, and I think that's I've seen that happen before. Um, but I've like obviously this here, his three wins that seems like quite a bit of success there for that, um, that piece of it. 
it says the cards uh, charges cannot be recovered. So no, uh, Jabba would not be able to. Uh, okay, so it's for Zam then. We're getting it yeah. for Zam, or yeah, we're getting it for Zam probably. Yeah. So. Which makes sense. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, those were kind of the the lists that I wanted to point out. Um, you know, on here that were a little bit more unique. Um, something we hadn't seen. Uh, there, Greg did bring a thing, Kyrell, um, which is an interesting choice over um, taking Boy Wedge uh, here. So that is definitely an interesting choice with Thane, and I think things we're going to see Thane be a little bit more uh, prominent in the meta uh, than we had before because of some of these other sharing and aggressive ships, uh, such as Dutch, right? Um, so I think that's that's interesting for that. Now, what I wanted to do real quick is have the... Okay, so what I wanted to do is talk about whether we thought Hotshots and Aces are going to raise any of the... Change any of the other points because they purposely did not give us those points. Um, And so to me, for me, the only way we would see that change is if one of the ships that is coming in from that pack can be comboed with another ship which would make it too much, too powerful. So JJ, do you feel that that was something that is going to be that way or not? Um, it's possible, right? Um, I mean, they, they do have to get more data to see if their initial release for it will be more, if it will require more balance or if it comes in around the area that like the, um, what they're forecasting, how, how impact the game. Um, so I think that, especially with the, the last round of tournaments coming in, uh, being able to get that data, they'll be able to make uh, a good adjustment for it and kind of make a decision at that point for it. I don't know if it's I, for me, I think it's still too early to tell um, the the impact for it because we still need to see more and more data to see if it'll be uh, viable because a lot of players who are playing competitively typically don't jump into the newer um builds right away um until they see like a viable strategy for it or just not have enough uh enough reps to to make it effective um so i i think it's still a bit early for it but um i I, there's definitely a lot of potential uh you take a look at the new stuff that's coming out especially like siege coruscant uh we take a look at like the the republic arcs I mean, those are pretty, pretty big boosts for the for the Republic. Um, I imagine that the Hotshots and Aces pack, a lot of those pilots will be the same, just depending on their points as well. Um, so I, I yeah, I, I would assume that they would definitely have an impact. I just don't know if they'll be like meta breaking. Yeah. And I think <clears throat> I was to say outside of maybe Finn going up in points, I don't think they're going to really change up points there. Like, honestly. I kind of feel that they're they're kind of going to stick to their guns, um, which could be bad or not be bad, I guess. Because I don't know, I don't know. I, I don't. We're probably not going to get another release before Worlds, right? JJ, you don't think we're going to no. see? No, I mean, if if anything, probably around the time of Worlds, we'll get the re-release of the Tide Bomber. Um, they did mention Ooh. that they wanted to uh, start with the reprints uh, starting quarter one of the next year. So um, the TIE Bomber will probably be the first one that we'll see. And then after that, it should be the um, the Starwing. Uh, but at that point, I don't know. Um, unless they come out 
um, with something that's groundbreaking in terms of like their points or standardized loadouts, which they did mention that they would have standardized pilots on them. Um, unless there's something like really, really big, I don't see that may having a really big impact to the meta right at the run the time of Worlds. All right. Makes sense. Yeah. So that kind of leads us to a, a quick discussion, I guess I would say, before we get into our chess discussion, right? You mentioned Boba won something, now he needs to go up two point. And I know it was a joke, <laughs> but we were actually talking about this a little bit at our locals that Scum is having a hard time really moving away from anything but like medium and large base ship structures for lists. And yeah. there is discussion, like the question becomes, and I do think Boba could go down a point to eight points like Django. Um, but, um, and I know that's probably a spicy take there, but I think the discussion has to be how do does AMG change scum so that it no longer just specifically is the Boba meta? Um, I mean, if you take a look at the majority of lists that um, that have made it with Boba um, to like the top cut, um, you'll you'll see kind of the same similar loadouts for boba currently right now usually he has a force crew right because so that we can have the uh that passive mod um other than his rerolls at range one and usually some type of defensive tech um and i say that in a loose term either with false transponder codes or um or chaff clouds uh just so boba can survive the initial alpha strike um with like ordinance in the event that he ends up like facing that kind of uh, loadout on the opposite side. Um, once Boba's able to get past that initial uh, engagement from range, then that's where Boba becomes strong using his passive rerolls to try to take out enemies and try to survive as many shots as possible. And usually it becomes a bit of a point fortress uh, just to try to outlast the opponent in the damage race while inflicting as much damage as possible. Um, this is true for the majority of fire sprays um, that we see. I mean, take a look at Django having that same ability at initiative six to outmaneuver with the boost um, or just out arc dodge other ships. Um, or uh, take a look at uh, Zam Wessel, uh, for instance, as well, just having passive mods with her ability, being able to double tap. Um, the, the fire sprays in particular, and I'm picking on them because we're, we're talking about them, there's just um, at their at their points cost seven points and having access to a boost on a medium base is something that is not seen in many other um, medium bases in the game and it the fact that they also have three attack dice either in the front or the back does not give them um, they don't have the agency to have to turn around when they can just go past a ship um, and basically attack them out the rear and have the same type of offensive potential. Um, it's a very, very unique ship, and because of that, that makes them very, very strong. That being said, um, because of their points cost, the limitations of what kind of list that can be played around them is very minimal. And in the case of the scum, uh, when you take a look at all the different options that Scum has right now um, for for smaller bases, I mean you're you're basically paying 
two small ships um, that might have less efficiency than a single fire spray. And the fire spray probably comes out a little bit cheaper um, in the long run than having two small bases that are, are decent. Um, so because of that, because of that inefficiency and scum with smaller bases um, that are not support ships, obviously the, the, H, the Hawks are very, very good for support. Um, because of not having that hard hitting ship um, at at a cheaper price that's available for scum, um, more more players tend to go towards those big points fortresses because they're a more efficient for scum, more so than any other faction, um, and that's that's what's created the meta right now for scum having a lot more medium and large bases just due to the lack of availability of of cheap, uh, decent, mm. uh, small base ships in scum. So what would you feel would be a good alternative? So I think before you've mentioned we splitting scum, right? Into two factions. Mm -hmm. That's a possibility, right? Um, yeah. We could also see a change to Boba so that it's not re-rolls all the time. That maybe it becomes a charge, charge base. base yeah. instead. We've talked about that. Um, so I think there's a couple of different options, right, uh, for it. I think, and, and this is just my opinion, but I think you could put Boba at eight points and go to a charge base system and keep roughly the same loadout and you wouldn't have to split that faction, but I think you would start seeing some N3As and different things in there. And I think the, the problem is, and, and this is Separatist struggles with this a little bit too, because you have to make a conscious decision. Do you want to fly Django <laughs> or do you want to fly um like a swarm type you know setup yeah and, and exactly. it's very hard to let go of Django. and and i'm going to reference my game against sherman here real quick they did win but the game was very close for the most part throughout the majority of the game and if you think about it grievous and Django both lived to end game no questions it wasn't even like a you we were going to ever see Django or grievous disappear um and I think that's the question is, and maybe this is maybe this is a discussion for next week um, or the week after. What do we do for fire sprays? You know, maybe it's just the fire spray piece that is just that bad that it needs to be corrected. But we need to find a way, in my opinion, in Scum to change things so that it's not the Boba meta. I shouldn't have to feel like I want to take Boba Fett. I just shouldn't. I shouldn't feel like that. Um. And Zach, I played Zach. We ended up tying, but round one, my swarm eliminated his Mando. Like, it was gone. Like, between discords and energy shells. Now, that was without Django, so it was just a swarm swarm. But taking a seven-point ship off the board in the first engagement, pretty much, that hurts. That's not, that's not how X-Wing, in my opinion, that's not how X-Wing should be played. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah, um, and the the other part too is just um, a, a lot of the things that you see um, the meta develop from is mainly from tournament results, right? You see that a lot of these you know uh, these high end players that go to the cut, they they tend to kind of define what the meta is because they can show that a certain archetype can be good, and that kind of helps 
determine how the meta evolves further for that particular faction uh, there. And from what we're seeing from Scum as of late um, is that uh, is the Fire Spray meta. Uh, just seeing uh, Kanan with two different versions of the Fire Spray uh, making cut consistently because, you know, as we know, the, the Fire Sprays are very good. Sometimes you'll see uh, uh, a Fire Spray in like a Gauntlet, for instance, uh, and I'm thinking specifically of like Cam Murray, who uh, who won the GSP event not too long ago with that. Um, it, it's just, again, these are just very, very efficient ships, and it's just when you look at what you get for those points, if you try to substitute that with other other small base ships, I mean, you're just not getting that same efficiency um, out of those ships um, that you would have with those uh, either the gauntlet or the fire spray in those cases, and it's just it's just much more difficult to to win, or at least if you're if you're a newer player coming in uh, to like the competitive scene, you're less likely to go with the other options when you're seeing that this is an established. Uh, like list art type that is doing well and you want to try to emulate that or at least play that um and in your own local so it, it that's what kind of like drives that meta so so greg has submitted the new scum meta he's calling it scum 3.0 and it is a lancer class which god i would love to see those come back actually like i really i really enjoy flying that ship even though i fly it horribly with sabine and then Forlom, oh my god, Forlom in the Starfighter with the Mando advanced sensors and Kanan Jarrus, obviously. And then Manaru with Dengar Gunner, tracking fob, punishing one, and Notorious. Mm, that's... <laughs> um, I, I absolutely love Sabine Wren with the child um, because her ability to just uh, uh, like add a focus result so good um that is actually a really nice uh addition to it um just wish that uh advanced sensors wasn't banned <laughs> so that way four long can actually work properly <laughs> yeah. but it's uh it's definitely a, a nice list man it's beefy too i mean i mean look at this you got two large bases a medium base and then a, a small base ship which is the support <laughs> fair enough all right so let's transition Great transition there, Tanner. Um, <laughs> I, I should yes. probably just say, let's transition. You know, that sounds dumb. <sighs> anyway, you, it's, it's a long day. All right. So what we are going to do now is finish our series on, what did you call it, JJ? Chess wing. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, I wish I knew how to do a poll. I don't know if I like chess wing, but it is what it is. <laughs> yes. So we'll let we'll bring all of our discussion for this um, to an end. At this this the last uh, the last piece here of our uh, chess wing discussion. Yep. So previously on <laughs> previously on planning phase syndicate, we had a series called chess wing where we discussed. The different maneuvers, the different list building aspects, zero churn, obstacle placement, maneuvering, attacking, engagement, and everything you want to know about X-Wing and comparing it to chess. The reason we did this was for, there's a couple of reasons. One, because I feel chess is one of the longest standing games that has some of the uh, most theory 
uh, strategy stuff written about it. Um, and it does not change its points value. It does not change how the pieces maneuver. It doesn't change any of that. And somehow, somehow people are still writing large volumes of theory on this specific game. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to kind of take it through this series like we have and compare it and talk about, you know, how do we, how is chess like X-Wing, right? And how can we understand X-Wing differently? So to begin with, we went through, you know, opening phase. We went through obstacle placement, turn zero, all of these other things. And we're finally past middle game and on to the end game. The end game, folks. That's Not right. JJ's team name. End game. <laughs> yes. Who we're we about to find game. out if they will be <laughs> what three and one or two and two. Uh, yeah, exactly. You better message Brendan and tell him we get an update. We want an update. My I have I have faith in Brendan. I know that he'll pull it through. Okay. Good. I have faith in Brendan too. So much faith that maybe you should have drafted both of us together. Anyway. We're going to move on and talk about Endgame. So chess Endgame, the definition is a little bit muddied. A lot of people want to argue about it. This is kind of where we have come to the conclusion here is the Endgame in chess is a phase of the game that occurs after most of your pieces have been exchanged, right? There is no strict criteria technically for Endgame because a lot of experts will actually disagree with each other on what it is. What I took from it, and essentially how I saw it, was these four main points. Kings get to become active and are more aggressive. Pawns are passed and ready for promotion, which we'll get to what that means in a minute. Mm -hmm. I'm going to butcher this word, but it's Zerg Zwang, which is German. Or essentially what it means is when a player is obligated to make a move, any move that will worsen their position... And four or fewer pieces on the board other than your pawns and your king. Now, Endgame has five generalizations that people talk about. In the king and pawn endings, an extra pawn is technically more decisive in 90% of the cases. So if you are up a pawn, which means you're technically up in points, which we talked about before you have a 90% chance of winning, which is crazy to me. That's, that's, that's huge, right? Yeah, and when you, when you look at that, you know, in the X-Wing, um, like, frame, um, having that extra ship and towards the end of the game, you know, where you're looking at, like, the final, like, 20 or even 10 minutes of the game, just having that extra piece, being able to, um, like, if it's a lower initiative ship going in, being able to block the action of uh, of another, of an enemy ship, um, or getting in the path from either getting another scenario action or getting off an extra piece of ordinance, um, having that extra pawn as that blocker is a huge deal, especially if you're trying to protect points either on your ship that has like a salvage crate um, or protecting the objective that's there by not allowing your opponent to grab it. Um, it it's absolutely right. Having that extra pawn uh, alive in those cases helps you uh, keep your points um, or prevent your opponent from having those points uh, uh, towards their, their favor. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. Yep. 
another generalization is end games with pieces in and pawns and extra pawn it has the winning advantage as a, a winning advantage right and it becomes more decisive if the stronger side has a positional advantage as well the king plays an important role in end game which we we you don't typically see in chess usually you want to protect your king protect it initiative is more important in the end game than in other phases of the game. In rook end games, the initiative is usually worth at least a pawn. That's that's pretty big too. Two connected passes past pawns are very strong. If they reach their sixth rank, they are generally as powerful as a rook. And that's essentially when we talk about past pawns, essentially what what past pawns means is when your pawn moves over your competition right towards that edge of the board because then you can promote it to be whatever you want it to be most people pick a queen because that's the smart thing but if you get two of them <laughs> your opponent now has to have two pieces they have to go after and and that when we talk about x-wing in game in a few minutes here that will be extremely important now there is two divisions of end game with pawns and without pawns and for for in my opinion for the x-wing it's really not super important and that's because we're not going to actually delve out the i don't know there was like 15 actual end game strategies that i had found we're not going to go into each of those and show you the positions of them and blah 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 that you if you want that you can look that up but i think it's important to note the major difference you could break essentially end game up into two different divisions and when we talk about x-wing right we can have two different divisions we would break our ships up to one would be having health a lot of healthy ships right so that would be division one having a lot of healthy ships on the board division two would be having the advantage the ship advantage with lower um health ships whether they don't actually have health or because you've almost murdered all of them now we're going to go through the five or the six strategies that they have. And then we're going to say, we're talking about how we can relate it to X-Wing. So the first strategy that they have is get your, get a queen with your past pawn. That simply means as your pawn goes over top of the competition and goes to the edge board, you want to get it promoted to a queen. Very simple. Everybody wants to do that. In X-Wing, we can't promote. <laughs> we, we can't bring ships back from the dead except for one ship, right? And what's that one ship? Or JJ? Uh, Moralo? No. It's, uh, oh my gosh. Tell. It's a scum one. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> tell yeah, to I bear. Think it is Moralo. Is yeah, it, it Moralo or is it Tell? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. Tell Trevorrow. Yeah, okay. you're right. Tell. <laughs> um, so there you go. So that, <laughs> that doesn't technically exist, but being able well, to understand the promotion of it is kind of where they're going I, with that. I would I would kind of disagree a little bit. I do think that this particular strategy does exist in X Wing, and it's it's very situational, right? Um, when you take a look at some of the like when we're going back and kind of classifying some of the the pilots as kings or queens or rooks or aces, um, if you're in a list, uh, let's say that's all uh, initiative fours, and you're facing off against a list that has an initiative six pilot and a bunch of initiative threes, killing that initiative 
six pilot on your opponent's list now makes your your other ships um, have a lot more value because you're being able to move after your opponent and take shots before your opponent and that all of a sudden makes your your ships more valuable in that case um, so it's essentially promoting your ships by taking out your opponent's queen um, in that case and i think that's how that translates in x-wing all right cool the next the next strategy right in chess is is create a passed pawn so if you don't have a pawn past it how do you get your pawn passed, right? You know, so that could be having two pawns, sacrificing the one to let the other one go. Um, it could be a whole bunch of different things, but it, it, the idea is, is to create a passed pawn. Another one is to win pawns, either through attacking them or entering your opponent's camp, which is very much like Nina or Fader, being able to take actions and get behind other ships or what it, what's that new uh interceptor uh that new sigma interceptor that can essentially do what the three bank and then do a three sloop, sloop or something like yeah, that sigma like so crazy five, I say. Yeah, yeah i think it's sigma five that can do that the slam action yeah it's so nasty <laughs> yeah um so there's that right so getting into your opponent's camp attacking their weakest uh flank those are our, our strategies uh, for that. The next one is activating your king. And they talk about in chess strategy, either moving your king towards the weakened pawns so that you can start picking off your opponent's pawns. Or if there's no weak pawns, moving your king towards the center of the board so it cannot get trapped in the corner, which is what happens to me all the time all because the I'm time. stupid and don't move my king. That's what that happens to me <laughs> way too often. <laughs> um, activate your natties. Yeah, there you go. Um, create weak pawns either by taking them, exchanging them, or exchanging other pieces leading to get, stopping pawns from uh, uh, being able to pass. Um, you can also provoke your opponent <laughs> to move inopportunely. Um, that happens in X-Wing all the time. I will tell you that. Like People yes. talk all the time. Um, that's the one qualm I have with, with some of it. And like I like an honest player that doesn't actually want to mess with you. And I like, for example, Sherman um, was very, when we did our game, it was, we actually, we were discussing, is Grievous going to fit if he barrel rolls there? He goes, no, nah, I don't think it's going to, don't do it. And I did it anyway, and it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't matter. <laughs> so <laughs> He was right. He didn't even try to play me. He was just telling me, he was just being honest. So <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, anyway, so th that's the kind of play I like, but anyway, um, you can work to provoke your opponent, you know, into an opportunity. And then the last one that they talk about, right, is a, you know, attack the king directly, right? So that's the most obvious one. Go get your king, go get their other king and corner them into a checkmate, right? I think everybody knows that one. That's, I don't, I don't that, to me, that doesn't even feel like strategy at this point. Um, so, so now we got to talk about how do we relate that to X-Wing, right? Because when we talk about X-Wing strategy during the end game, we, what we got to kind of define when does end game start right so jj i threw a few things on there you can ignore those but to you when do you feel in game starts well next week 2.5 the end game typically starts when one or both players reach that uh that 
12 to 14 point range on the score uh, for for a, a particular game. At that point, you're typically within a ship and a half away from uh, being able to reach your 20 points, um, especially when you start include, factoring the points from objectives. Um, that's when the end game, in my opinion, begins uh, for X-Wing, because that's where you have the greatest opportunity to, to end the game quicker at that point. The game accelerates faster at that point. You typically have lesser ships at that point, so you're taking lesser turns. Uh, so the decisions become that much more crucial to try to win the game with whatever you have left on the board, um, and uh, as well as uh, attacking the objectives. Yeah. Another one I would say too is 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 looking at your clock, right? Like so, for example, pace of play is a thing. Um, I get yelled at all the time um, about my pace of play. Sometimes uh, I take a little bit longer uh, to make decisions, especially online compared to um, in, person. in person. In person, it's just so much easier to make decisions. I think. Um, but anyway, so that when you think about like if you are at fifteen minutes left in your game. Um, or you you feel that you've had five churns, three, you know, four to five churns, you're pretty sure you're in your in-game at this point. You know, very few players get, except for Crispy, I guess, and Nick get into 11-round games. I, you don't see that very often. Um, so I feel once, you, once you're, you, you get down towards the end, it becomes kind of like a crunch time, right? Um the other, the other piece of that, like you had said, was the eight points. I feel if you or the 14, 12 to 14 points, I feel if you're scoring eight objective points and then you have some set of ship points along with it, you are probably getting into that end game right there. Um, another one that I came up with was um, if you don't have a double score over your opponent um, and healthy ships, you're probably in the end game. That's that seems pretty pretty. If even if you're only at ten points and they're at five, but you have all healthy ships and they do not, yeah, I would I would I would say your end game the end game is upon it's upon you. Um. Uh, also, a strong command of objectives. Or the last is if your ships are down to their last haul, um, essentially are close to their last haul, and you have one or two ships left those are kind of the principles for me that kind of trigger and say hey this is when in game happens um yeah yeah I, I would definitely agree there i mean obviously it does um it does depend on the list i mean when you look at the the double fire spray list um that's pretty much you lose one of your fire sprays and yeah you're automatically in the end game um but a lot of times too is the number of hold they have left on your ships right because you can have a situation where let's say you're running just like a vulture swarm and you have like a handful of them that just have one hole left i would say that's that's pretty much the time for the end game as well because you can easily lose a lot of vultures very easily um and, and that can end the game really fast All right, so now let's actually talk about strategy. So I purposely only put a few down. I did this on purpose because I didn't want to. I don't want to overtalk JJ, and I feel that it would be better if we actually kind of went back and forth and said, "Here's a couple of different strategy points that we see." So what I'm going to do is is give JJ the first the first crack at it and say, JJ, for you, what is your main? What is one of the big in game strategy that you have? Strategies that you have. 
Well, one of the first things that took me a long time um, to to really master, um, especially when I started getting to competitive X-Wing, um, as a newer player is identifying that you're actually in the end game, right? A lot of players just kind of get lost in the quagmire of the game without realizing the positioning that they're in, right? Um, some players are just focusing on where they're putting their dials. Um, they're focusing on like what uh, what their opponent has and stuff, and they don't actually look at the take a step back essentially and look at the bigger picture, right? Are they up in points? Um, are they close to any objectives? How much hull is left or life is left on your opponent's side that can swing the game in your favor? Or how many points are, do you have left to reach your, your goal, right? And having that awareness mid-game um, is something that is a very key skill to have, right? Sometimes you could um, get emotionally involved either through like a bad die roll that can happen and that can essentially uh shake you up to the point that you lose focus of the greater picture of the game right um so i think before you get to any other strategies just having that awareness of hey am i in and uh am i in a situation where i can end this game within the next turn or two with the ships and the positions that i have and what do i do to work to make that particular um scenario happen so that way i can close the game um and it also works the other way right uh does my opponent currently right now have a, a reachable goal where they can end the game within the next turn or two and what can i do to delay that um that scenario from happening so that way i can buy myself more time to to win the game for myself and i think that's probably the most critical piece for a newer player uh, when um, when considering this part of uh, when the end game starts. Yep. A, a great example, uh, my game against Sherman, uh, I have a one-haul Ketsu, and she's just flying away with one haul, and here Django claims an objective point versus a target lock. And of course, then Django rolls two blanks and an eyeball <laughs> and gets one crit out of it, you know? Um there that was that 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 created a dice scenario where everything was about the dice and then the variability of that was too high um there's a reason you run django and it's not for wanting to keep your dice variability you don't run django for that you you run it because you want it to be consistent and i forgot consistency and hedge my bets on a range zero shot into a buzz droid so yeah exactly um the first the the one one of the ones that i had was command more objective points than your opponent so an in-game strategy is once you get towards that end game and you are close to um being you so you're down to your last let's just say three churns or or, or two churns can you command more objectives and not lose your ships like that's the big piece for me Right, because I think objective play now creates that difference. So if if going into it you're down, you know, five points, do you really need? Do you want to take every objective, or do you have to kill the ships? But what if you take three objectives and kill one ship, you win. Yeah. So understanding and being able to, and it's kind of like an ace play if we think about it. Right, ace play is very was very 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 big. For a long time, and it's because you had to learn when do you disengage to points fortress. <laughs> I hate saying that word, but that's to some extent what it is. You know, like when do you run away with soon tier 
versus engage with soon tier. In 2.5 meta, we we are seeing a shift in that because again, you know, and, and again, it goes back to if you cannot wipe this other ship off the board to get ship points, you have to go after objective points. You have to. And identifying that in your mid game and then follow through with it in your end game is huge. Um, and again, another another point to you know Sherman is when I ignored Q9, Q9 decided to 4K or whatever, 5K or whatever they do, and come back around and pick up that objective point for two extra points in the last of the game, right? Huge. That's huge. That's, that's a missed opportunity on my behalf, not acing that or getting rid of that ship and allowing that ship to go take um, objective points. And the more I talk about this, the more I really re- decided I definitely should not have won that game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but but taking understanding objectives and when to take them versus attacking is huge in end game. Yeah, and of course this this varies a lot, you know, depending on the scenario. But you're absolutely right, right? Commanding more objective points put the pressure on your opponent to react to that state uh, versus um, setting up the scenario for them to win. Right, uh, because if you control more objective points, then that puts your opponent behind the eight ball to uh, try to move their ships in probably an, un, uh, an unfortunate position or a um, a less favorable position um, than yourself in order for them to contest those objectives um, and try to and try to keep up uh, keep pace with you if you're ahead of points. Conversely, the other way around, if your opponent's uh, has control the majority of your objective points now you're rushing to try to collect those um, or at least stop your opponent from collecting those points and that could set up uh, that could really spread out your formation or put them in a position where they can't really um, continue pursuit against uh, the opponents who try to take out their ships um, or do you they're left tokenless and leaving them up to possibly be destroyed by your opponent's ships just because you're trying to try to grab that objective. Um, so yeah, definitely that's a that's a very important point. Yeah. All right. What would be another strategy piece for you, JJ? Um, maintaining the lead, right? There are definitely uh, times where you're ahead on points uh, by a good margin and all of a sudden your opponent just comes out and you have no idea how it it happened. I've seen it's times where people are up by 12 points and all of a sudden the opponent just comes in and just steals the win away. Um, Recognizing your end goal uh, at that point and, and keeping not losing your focus on maintaining that lead um, is definitely a very big skill to have. Um, I've seen, uh, particularly with like salvage mission, right? Uh, there'll be cases where somebody has uh, a cargo and they'll have one hole and sometimes they turn in to try to engage and try to get a shot and they end up losing that ship and losing the salvage. Um, if you look at one of the most basic ships, let's say a an academy pilot, which is two points and has a cargo crate, that academy pilot does more work by staying out of the fight and keeping that salvage token away from the fight than grabbing a cargo token and then going in to try and engage. You potentially give your opponent two points, especially if it has no mods, and you also lose the potential of scoring that one uh, objective point for carrying that crate um, because you, you're trying to 
force the situation into your favor. Sometimes it does pay off, but most of the time it's usually not worth to try to overcommit your forces when you can better utilize them by securing that objective and not trying to kill your opponent in that case. Another one that I, I, I felt was extremely important is create poor choices for your opponent. Um, and one of the options I had is by creating bump, bumping opportunities. So there's that, right? Um, that doesn't have to be the only poor choice that they can make, but giving them poor choices. Do you, uh, and again, you know, think about it this way. If you have like a full health Django at the end of, you know, turn four, your opponent has to make a conscious decision. Are you going to focus your efforts on burning Django down or are you going to ignore Django and just go hands in on another wing condition, right? So then understanding that and creating bump opportunities, in my opinion, um, bumping can be extremely bad because they still get a bloody focus and range zero shots are still a thing, which I hate. Um, but creating that opportunity for you to be able to take and stop that ship from its optimal position. And and we talked about it in, in, in opening maneuvers and in and, and mid-game is controlling spacing on the board. And they don't talk a lot about that in, in end-game chess theory, but to me, controlling that space is huge, especially if you know your opponent's win condition is getting that extra objective or two, and you stop them with a bump, they can no longer take that objective. Then it becomes a dice game, and then I guess if you get out diced, you get out diced, and and it is what it is, right? That's not a a thing that we um, can change, right? But it is creating and taking the variability piece out of it as much as as you can. Yeah, and then lastly, uh, one of the other strategies is recognizing the value of ships versus objective points. Um, there are times where um, in the end game piece, you'll have an opponent who has a big ship that is down to its final two or three hole, uh, where it's in danger of dying, and you have the opportunity to pick up, let's say, a salvage crate or uh, assault a particular location to maintain uh, those objective points. Um, sometimes it's worth just ignoring that objective just to secure those points in your favor um if you're able to guarantee um the that point right especially if you're like let's say facing down a decimator that has no agility and only three hold left it's probably better to try to focus down and kill that ship um if it can guarantee you to either put you uh ahead and in points um or even possibly win the game versus trying to chase down a salvage crate uh which can only possibly give you um one one point um if it's like not claimed um so just recognizing those situations where you're trying to identify what's going to give you the most gain in objective or in points in general and uh and trying to pursue that without compromising your position yep another one i just thought of was understanding your dice variability and how it will play into getting you to your end game goal so if your end game goal and you're in a very close race do you take the opportunity to worry about dice variance. And, and I'll say again, why I hate range zero, but if you're taking a range zero shot with three red dice versus one or two green dice, you have to understand what is your probability that you're going to get the hits and crits that you need. 
what is that probability? Um, and I think that's that's the big piece of it. Um, there is understanding that, and 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 again, that would be the same thing as if you're facing down a grievous who has you know almost full health. Do you re-roll your crits? Yes. If you can re-roll them, you re-roll your crits because you, you because a blank is better than take especially in end game. There you go. Not at the beginning of the game, but in end game, re-rolling that crit to either a hit or a blank or an eyeball is a million times better than allowing him to go, is it a ship crit? Because what is our ship crit probability inside of your damage stack? And because we don't get we don't get to look at all the damage cards, we have no idea what ship crits are underneath there versus regular crits. So you had to treat it a little bit kind of like counting cards in blackjack, right? Like, all right, the probability is I've gone through 80% of the ship crits. I have 20% of the deck left. Uh, like 30% of those are going to be ship. 70% of them are going to be pilot or whatever the other one is, right? And that's the that's a huge thing because if you have the opportunity to take the shot with the dice and you know you have a higher probability, again, if I roll three red dice on one green dice, what's the probability I get that last one hit point or two hit points that I need? Um, so understanding what your variability is in your dice uh, is huge because it can help you make decisions as you move into your end game. Yep, exactly. Any other ones, JJ? Any other things that we you think we might have missed for in-game strategy? Uh, the last thing I'll say is more of a of a mental thing. It's it's um, it's easier for some players. It's harder than others. Um, but no matter what, um, keep your cool in the game. It's easy to uh, feel overconfidence whenever um, dice are going your way. Um, or it's easy to feel defeated um, or uh, or down whenever like dice blank count on you early on at the beginning and you lose a ship. Uh, don't give up. There's been so many times personally where I felt like my initial engagement just totally favored my my opponent and I lost a key piece on my list and I just managed to somehow crawl back because I stayed in the game and I didn't let that bad engagement uh, determine the rest of my game. Like I kept at it. Um, I still had other ships on the board and I just played, adjusted my strategy to um, to keep on and uh, and you, you, you can, you never know what happens, right? Dice are dice. Sometimes they, they skew very, very much in your favor, um, in engagements. And sometimes it's you and your opponent's favor at the end of the day, it's up to you to make, give yourself the best chance possible with the pieces that you have to, and to win the game. Yep. And I think that's fair. And I will say that is probably the hardest piece I have, um, that I, I struggle with is because if I feel I'm losing too much or that I can't see that end win condition, I become defeated. Right. And then I feel, Oh my God, I'm not going to win this. Um, and again, another example would be is, you know, if you, you know, like you say, if you lose that important piece, you know, if, if I lose Django in three rounds, can the rest of my list make up for Django or is it just an automatic loss? And my game versus Sandy a couple weeks ago, perfect example. I lost Jingle right away, but in the end, it came down to literally the last shot of the game, even with losing Jingle. And so if I had completely just given up on life, 
that game would have easily been, I would have made more mistakes and that, that game easily would have been handled. But as long as you keep in your head, hey, there still could be a win condition. There still could be this. And then it goes back to our discussion on list building, right? Like if you're building a list with a king in it, you might be not playing X-Wing correctly. <laughs> We've, we yeah, have very exactly. few kings in X-Wing. Very, very few kings are ever in X-Wing. Um, yes. So. Well, thank you, uh, everyone. Thank you so much for being a part of this strategy talk. I know it's not for everybody. Um, I won't, won't lie and say I actually really enjoyed this. This is game strategy and game three are are big for me personally. Um, and, and it's it's. I don't know, like I like playing the game. I love talking about list building. I like talking about all these other things, but I really like like game strategy. Um, I really do. And I think one of the things we're going to talk about, depending on what happens with points and things going into the new year, is going to be what is the next thing, right? Where What do you want to see as the next thing? And, and maybe, JJ, uh, maybe we could create a poll in our Discord and then kind of share that link around in Greg's Discord and other Discords. And people can vote. What do, what do you want us to talk about next when it comes to um, uh, game theory and strategy? Um, Andre, yet. <laughs> Yes, Shatterpoint will be a thing that we actually talk about on the show. We don't know if we're going to create a separate podcast for Shatterpoint or what that's going to be like yet. So I don't 100% know where we're going to go with Shatterpoint. Um, but yes, that uh, JJ and I have already had talks about, do we have to have another day to talk about Shatterpoint? Are we going to create a Shatterpoint <laughs> podcast? Um, there's a lot of things that are... We have, we have seven months or eight months to make this decision. So... Um, but yes, uh, we we are we are going to do something with Shatter Shatterpoint. Um, we don't want to commit or talk about it right now um, because there's some other things in the work with um, understanding where we can go with it and how much of an opportunity we're going to be able to visualize things online for people will really be. Do we want to do that or not? But yes, we really want to play um, or, or understand and, and deal with Shatterpoint, especially because somebody's going to teach me how to paint. Um, hopefully this winter, somebody's going to teach me how to paint. Corey committed to it. So, Corey, I'm going to call you out and say, you're we're going to get there, baby. <laughs> I need somebody to teach me how to paint something that looks nice. Um, that looks nice. Uh, anyway, so we'll post a poll somewhere and or maybe we'll create a Google Doc. That's what, that's what we're going to do. We're going to create a yeah, Google, Google Doc. Doc. And we're going to share the Google Doc. And if you if you liked our in-game strategy or our chess comparison strategy discussion, um, we'll give you an opportunity to vote on other things and also make submissions for it. And then what we'll do is we'll take them all. Um, and in a couple of weeks, we'll announce what our next um, our next discussion point is going to be. Because I, I really think that there's more to X-Wing sometimes than what we even touch on. Um and, you know, one of the things I had been thinking about is taking certain lists and breaking them down based on each different scenario and then creating some sort of a ranking style system with this list is meant for this type of a player. This list does well in these type of scenarios and giving a a list and actual ranking percentage or number um, and viability in current metas. Right. And I think that's I think that's interesting. Um, maybe that will be a segment, whether we do a strategy segment too. I don't know, but, um, that was one of the kind of the ideas that we had been floating around internally, um, between the three of us, uh, to discuss. And 
it gives us an opportunity um, to make suggestions to AMG if they ever listen to our podcast um, on what they could actually make changes for. So, yeah. So, all right. Now we're going to do two things. We are going to discuss. We are going to discuss two different things. Uh, we are going to do our Andor segment, and that will be starting here in about. 15 minutes before you, if you do not want to talk about Luthen's ship, here is your spoiler alert that you can have up. We, so the first thing I'm going to say, and I'm going to hold J, we're going to hold JJ to this because he's going to be the worst violator of this. We are not <laughs> going to give away spoilers for the episode in yep. our ship discussion. Our ship discussion is based on that episode, but we are not going to give big spoiler pieces yep. away for it right but if you really do not have not seen that episode and you don't want anything or any discussion you get five ten seconds jj's gonna count 10 seconds down for you to hop on off because we are gonna create our own fondor hall craft do the count baby 10 9 8 7 6 5 4 Three, two, one. All right. Now we're going to talk. This is where, this is where JJ and I disagree on what the ship should be. That's that's we're just going to put it that way. We had some internal discussions, and then JJ got pissed off and was like, "I'm not going to tell you any of my stuff until the day of the show." <laughs> literally, I can literally prove to you where he said that because he was like, "Fuck this shit." Um, we have created our own versions of the Fondor Hallcraft. So JJ, would you like me or you to go first? Um I'll I'll let you do your showcase first of your presentation and then we'll do mine and then we'll we'll discuss the two. So I'll, I'll let you go first. Go ahead. You're gonna let me go first. Wow. Yes. How generous of you. <laughs> All right. Let me make it a little bit bigger. So just a, a quick intro before you start, for yeah. just in case anybody who, who may not know what we're talking about. Uh, currently right now, Disney Plus has a show for Star Wars that's running right now called Andor, uh, which is based on the character that we were first introduced to from Rogue One. Um, if you haven't seen anything about the show, um, it is a fantastic show. I highly recommend you guys seeing it. Um, the ship that we're talking about is something that they previewed in the trailer when the, the show was originally announced um and it um it, it this is specifically the ship that we're talking about it's called the fondor hallcraft um as we learned from this last episode that came out and uh and that's what we're we're going to be discussing on what we think the ship should be uh if and when it comes into x-wing all right so i'm going to start and i'm going to get really crazy ballsy here and I'm going to say, I want a ship that can die, which is probably not going to be super thematic, but we'll see next episode. And um, a ship that hits somewhat hard, right? So I'm going to say it's going to have seven hull, no shields. We could argue and put a couple of shields in there and do it, it's, it, do it similar to um, 
to like more of a what a medium base would be. So like a lat has what eight hull and two shields. Yes. Um. So seven seven hull might be. Uh, and I'll be honest. Like when we get into some of the abilities, there might be a reason why I said it has to have seven hull. Um. But my idea is is that the majority of the efforts of this ship is not gonna go is gonna go into escaping, benefiting others, or attacking. Right, those are the reason it doesn't have a bunch of defense mechanisms built into its shields. Now, I've be, I, my theory is it's going to have a single rotating arc turret, so it will not be a dual; it will just be a single. I JJ and I actually probably agree um, yeah. mostly on that one, um, and that's because we cannot see these stupid fire spray like arcs anymore. We just it, it ha- no. that has to change, and now that we moved to two point five, we cannot have that. Um, yeah. In my opinion, we cannot have that. Um, I believe it should have two native attack dice and two native evasion dice. The card text that is just the, the base, the bottom part for every one of the ships, no matter what pilot it is, that the missile, ability. the yeah. ability, yep. The missile attacks can only use the turret arc and can only shoot out the front or the back. So missile arcs will lose their front forward arc piece and will only be able to shoot out the turret whichever way it's facing. So like the TIE SF, essentially. To some extent, yes. Yep. Yeah. Cannons, on the other hand, will be able to be used only for the turret arc, but can only shoot out the sides of the ship. That's it. Okay. Minor spoiler, we have two red lasers that come out the side of the ship. So that's a minor little weird spoiler that everybody's probably seen in the trailer. That's been around since the trailer. Um, and we're going to get to that cannon piece in a minute. So essentially you can have a cannon and a missile and both of them can only shoot out the turret and missiles can only go front back. Turrets can o- or cannons can only go to each side. That's it. I believe it should be a medium base. My idea is, is it, the red maneuvers it has is going to be a one reverse, a two sloop, three and four K. So, so pretty maneuverable ship for making predictability. Um, and there's a reason for that, which we will not discuss. <laughs> um, but there's a reason why I feel it should be maneuverable. I believe it should also have three and four blue straights and one, two, and three hards. And this is just the CIS player in me um, saying, if I take CIS and Jedi pieces and kind of look at Republic and Separatist and I say, I feel one, two, and three hards are the smarter blue option. We could probably get rid of one of those. Um, CIS does not get all three, but it is what it is. Uh, whites, I believe one and two are straight for white and one, two and three banks. So essentially this is a very maneuverable ship. Again, we will not discuss why <laughs> uh, at this current time. Configuration. So I am a huge, 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 huge proponent of configurations. Um, if you have not watched the show, go back. Every time we do this, I like my configurations. It's like my favorite piece. I feel that you could fix lats with configurations. Um, so we wouldn't have to have a six point freaking hound. Um, anyway. So I came up with two configuration cards. One that says, what do I sacrifice? The other one is called fledgling rebellion. The sacrifice card essentially is while you perform a primary attack before Rolling dice, add one attack dice 
to the attack if a friendly shieldless ship takes one crit damage. Okay, so essentially causing a damage on one of your friendlies in order to add a dice yes. to the roll. Okay. Yes, because I feel it seems silly to give it a, another dice all the time. Um, and that's, again, part of the reason I, go, I say with our turret you can have missiles and cannons on those is for the pure fact of you can use, if you want the bigger attack dice without taking all the damage, that's how you do it. Now, if a friendly ship took a direct hit, Meaning it had no shields, right? Because I said it has to be shieldless. So again, let's just say um, the the ship had, you know, I don't know. Give me, JJ, give me a ship. Give me a ship. Uh, TIE Fighter. Uh, a TIE Fighter. God damn it. Okay. Yeah. So a I mean, TIE Fighter in Rebellion has no shields. So it takes that crit and it convert and it, fl- it gets that crit and it's a direct hit. So it takes a second hit, right? You may convert one of your hit results while rolling to a crit. So essentially, if your if the ship you gave took two damage, you can roll an extra dice and then give out um, one of the results as a crit. So kind of as a, if you hit me, I'm going to hit you harder type thing. Okay. The second configuration card that I had was is for called Fledgling Rebellion. And essentially what this one does is while you execute a red maneuver, you may coordinate a friendly ship within range one to three. After you coordinate, you get a disarm token. <laughs> would you remember all these abilities? Yes. Yes, DJ, you would 100% remember these. You'd have to if you want to. I don't know. Like these aren't on the card. These are configuration cards. <laughs> I, I like to point out to uh, to Zam Wessel, <laughs> pilot on uh, on CIS. Uh, the, it has this much sorry. text. Really sorry, is. yes, so. I'm a CIS player. That's probably where this comes in from. Um, right. So you essentially could take a disarm to do a coordinate option. After you gain a disarm token, you can gain a strain token to perform a second coordinate action to a friendly ship within range one of the ship you just coordinated and they have to perform the same action as the other ship so if you coordinate a target lock that other ship has to take a target lock i also want to make the i i I didn't want to put this in here but essentially the action has to be on your bar right so you cannot just take a target lock action and not have a target lock so again if you were a, a tie fighter that didn't have that you wouldn't get it it just wouldn't happen um and I think there's a way to word that more professionally than I have. But for time's sake, and because Tanner's not like the, the best person at words all the time, I, I'm just pointing that out there. So uh, for slots, essentially, I said it could have two crew slots, two cannon slots, um, a sensor slot, a missile, one missile slot. So you can't take barrage rockets. Two mod slots, one illicit slot, two tech slots, and a bomb slot. For the action bar, I only want it to have a focus, evade, target lock, and a rotate action. But, and this is where it gets into, like, I thought it would be kind of cool if you had a red action where you can barrel roll to a red focus, or you could boost to a red evade. That way you can't have both of the fun things all at one time. Um, I also believe you can have a red reload option and a rotate to evade option because I think that's spicy. Might be too much. 
Um, and essentially, I felt it should go in the Republic and the Rebel faction. And with a possible nod to Scum and Separatists. And again, this is just me thinking, how do I sell this crap to more people? <laughs> you know, um, that's just me being AMG selfish. Or I guess I would say Asmode selfish, not AMG selfish. Asmode selfish. Okay. I like it. All right. So, Walms discussion points before we move on to JJ's version. So, um, I, I don't want to dive too deep onto it because we'll we'll do a little bit for the thing. I do okay. like the idea of the configuration cards. Um, I almost would like it as condition cards, similar to Zam, so that we have to choose Ooh. which one you want to do. Um, I think that's something that would be kind of spicy for this particular chassis, um, especially if you're doing it uh, for for Luthien as the pilot himself, as the pilot ability for Luthien. I think that this this would actually be a, a interesting mechanic for the game, um, especially for the first ability. Um, if you can decide to damage yourself in order for you to do this ability, I think that would be really good as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, yeah. I didn't want to spend a bunch of time creating pilots, and maybe that's what we do next week. Maybe after the final, we can actually do that and say these are the pilots that would go in this pack or whatever. I, I agree with you. I really like it. Yeah, could could Luthen take that and, and make it different, right? Yes, yeah. I, I absolutely think he, 100% he could. Um, yeah. The condition, I, I never thought of it as a, a condition card. That's, that's, that's interesting. Does that make it too more too powerful, though? That was... The reason I if the you, way if you limit it to a single pilot, and that's why I'm saying, like, if you make this Luthien's ability instead of just okay. the chassis configuration, you can limit its interactions and its and its uh, and its loadout. Like, if you take out a crew card or a crew slot to to essentially give the ship this, it has less chance to break with other upgrades um, that could potentially come into the game. So. There you go. So, so, so you make make a droid or a crew only card for Luthen. Yes. Like yes. that says Luthen loses a crew slot and gets uh, what's the name of the the droid on the ship? The attack droid. Or what is is it a spoiler if we say what it is? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. we're not gonna say. So the droid that we know is on that ship that talks in the in the thing, in the in, in the trailer. That droid could just that could be Luthen's ability. Take this droid, lose your crew slot, put this thing in, and then the droid's ability specifically is your uh configuration cards become condition cards. Love it. Yeah. That's great. That's actually really yeah. good. I never thought about that. Well, yeah. we could be game designers. David AMG. <laughs> JG and I want to be game designers. Let's start our own Kickstarter, man. I'm telling you. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go on to my uh, my my loadout for this. So um, I'm gonna preface this with Tanner had no idea that there was a, a site where you can create your own <laughs> cards, and I and I actually did this. Uh, did I create this art? No, I actually just took snapshots on it with a bad phone, and it actually made it look like it was actually drawn on the on the things here. So. Um, so these are all snips of this particular episode where we get the majority of our stuff here. 
So I I made the card specifically for Luthien, the pilot for this year, and I gave him the subtitle Rarity Collector. I made him an Initiative 5 pilot. His ability, um, and again, based on this one scene that we've seen so far, um, it says during the system phase, if you have an enemy ship in your uh, rear half, uh, you may spend a charge um, that he has. There are two non-recording charges to gain a focus token. The chassis ability, I wrote uh, Fondor Droid Brain before you activate. If you have your enemy ship in your firing arc, which is different from Luthien's ability, you may gain a calculate token. If you do, you gain a strain token as well. Um, and then I made a configuration card for this one here. Um, I, I kind of messed up the the icon on them but the first one here is the maneuvering assist foils um the open configuration this helps reduce the difficulty of the bank maneuvers and before you activate you can spend a calculate token to flip this card to the close position it also gives the ship a red boost action um, to its action bar so you can choose that as his action now i wanted to specifically have the timing done at the same time because i want this ship to have the possibility to get jammed so that way it can prevent it from being able to use this ability um, i wanted to have that kind of weakness built in into it as well um the close configuration uh, so, for hold on these, can i ask a question yeah. Is right. this before you activate, you may spend a calculate token. Where do you get a calculate token from? From the Fondor brain, Droid brain. Oh, so okay. you would get a strain okay. to gain that calculate token, and then you can use that calculate token to now activate the, the foils uh, to close. And I see. And if you were jammed, you would get your calculate token there for... Oh, that's kind of spicy. Yeah. That's actually kind of spicy because yeah. that could fuck you or screw you over pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, the close uh, position... Um, it says decrease the difficulty of your straight maneuvers after you fully execute a maneuver you may perform a barrel action and if you do you are able to flip the card back to the open position so this is similar to the hmp's maneuvering uh like assist where they could do the back and forth flip open and close uh, for their um for for their ability um, and i created a modification card for this called the broadside laser array and it says after you execute a barrel roll with your closed foils uh, or configuration you may spend a calculate token and gain a disarm token to deal a face down damage to and one enemy ship in each of your side arcs at range one this is specifically to kind of like show how uh, without giving too much away how this kind of occurred and to also take away the the ability to do this ability and also take a shot um, i wanted it to me it makes sense that if you're going to do this ability you're basically transferring the power in your turret arc to this particular modification in order to deal damage so you're you're basically guaranteeing damage out the sides but you're sacrificing any potential for a big shot now the the stat line that i gave for this particular ship um, i did make it a single turret arc uh three dice i only gave it one agility um because i feel that as a medium base uh it shouldn't be too agile to avoid damage now i did deter from tanner's version a bit um i did give it six hull and three shields um the reason for that is number one this is this would be in my in my opinion a rebel ship uh and rebels tend to have a lot more shields um 
in their ships as a rule in general. Um, so they should have three shields available. Um, and this makes it actually just one more health more than a B-Wing, um, but not quite the same health as a fire spray. So I wanted to kind of put it in that balance there. And I give its actions as a white focus, a white target lock, and a barrel roll natively. And then of course the rotate turret arc um, for its actions. All right. Did you want to go over your, uh, let me find it, your uh, dial real quick? Uh, yes. Uh, so the dial I have on here, uh, just a little bit. Oh, my I gosh. Basically, I basically did a modified decimator dial. Um, I took away the hard ones because I didn't want it to have a hard one on it. Um, but I left it uh, intentionally on purpose uh, with the banks being white. The reason being is that with the foils open, all those banks are blues. But with the foils closed, now you have less of an option uh, for for your ship to be able to clear that stress. Now, um, we don't see it do a hard maneuver. So I don't believe that this would have a an ability to do a K-turn. Um, but because it has a turret arc, um, it would be able to essentially put the turret on the side and still do 90 degree turns and still have time on target that way. And I think that's how the ship should function. You're that's that this is crazy. So is it is the reason you gave it no blues just because you're gonna give it that status thing or the, yes. the configuration? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's similar to like the HMP. Um, I took that that kind of design philosophy for that ship with the foils um, to kind of help its dial to make it better, and that's that's the kind of the design philosophy that I that I took. So, I will say one of the qualms I have is the dial. I think with this dial, you it it's an unplayed ship, and maybe I'm just being a dick, but a dink, but. <laughs> I, I really do think because, and again, the problem is because you, so with an HMP, by the way, you do not, you cannot stop them from reducing the maneuvers and flipping that card, right? Like you cannot stop that piece of it. Whereas with your ship, I can jam you and I just screwed you. Like if you're stressed, you're done. Like that, like that's got, that's a huge negative play in my opinion. Well, no, Could, the, you remember the the founder joy brain is gain a token, not to take an action. So you're gonna gain that token whether or not you're stressed or not. It it doesn't depend yeah. on being stressed. And if you're jam, however, is different. If you get jammed before your activation, then at that point, that's where where you have issues. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying is, and and because it affects your dial, I feel that it would be a lot harder, um, a lot harder to accept only two blue maneuvers. Yeah, like, and maybe I mean, if you had a condition in there that says if you were if you couldn't do this, you could change your dial. But then you and I know what would happen. They would ban it. <laughs> it would just be yeah, banned. exactly. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be there. Yeah. See, part of this, too, is like because I'm building this specifically as a rebel ship, I have to also take into account other crew members that are available into in the All right. alliance currently right now. Yep. So, Neil Nub is a big one. You're right. I didn't. Yeah. Neil Nub, the other one is uh, K2SO. Right. Being able to give a ship a, a calculate token for stress 
And if their foils are open, they just basically clear that stress, no problem. All right. Um, so that's that's kind of the reason for it. Like I wanted to be able to balance the ship. I do understand that nine health, uh, three of them being shields, does make the ship tanky. So I do have to give it some type of an Achilles heel to balance it. Um, so that way it's it's more of a fair experience that way. Like you can still interrupt the efficiency of this particular ship um, being susceptible to jamming. Um, and that way you can... Um, you can basically limit where it can go. I, I I wanted to have this blend of a decimator feel, but with the foils to make it feel more like an HMP, but like on a smaller decimator frame. And that's how I designed um, this particular ship. All right. I mean, and I think that's fair enough. I think, again, I think the big piece, right, is how do we balance it? And you know what? That actually sounds like a really um, good segment we could do. Um, is a discussion on true balancing of um, and understanding how that works in game design. Um, so maybe maybe we'll find some game designers that want to join us um, that are not X-Wing um, game designers <laughs> so we don't have to worry about any of them. We don't have to deal with any of the drama between AMG and FFG. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um and uh, just hot news here that just uh, was just announced. Team Endgame uh, has won their week. Brandon Edwards pulling out the win, uh, 19 to 11. So congratulations to my team. I'm very proud of you guys for pulling out this win. And uh, and now we're going to have a full week of rest. Enjoy your time with your family. Uh, go Team Endgame. Wait, wait. We have a week off? Yes. Oh, shit. I got two weeks off then. <laughs> Because yes. I think I get the buy. I think I finally am up for my bye week. Damn it! That's Nick. Where's Nick? Somebody get Nick on the show right. Some Nick, if you're listening right now, on my show now. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Damn it! That's two weeks. I'm not gonna get any practice for Rust Cup. All right, that's what I get. I guess for um, I don't know. Whatever, Nick. It's not Greg. It's Nick. Nick Sperry is the one that gave me the buy this week. I don't think I have to have a buy. I think I got the buy. Well, he's uh, he's he's trying to get uh, uh, Andrew to trade uh, Manny. So we'll see. We'll see if that shakes up anything for the league. Andrew to trade Manny. Mm-hmm. Over to oh, this oh, you you want Manny? No, no, no. Nick it just posted that he wants to open up a trade talk to obtain Manny from from andrew's team so we'll see how that goes yeah yeah maybe i'll get traded i'll be back on the corgis there you go (laughs) with a winning record right (laughs) i'll tell you what that is my that's my andrew that is my favorite target lock i use that at locals and people just like look at me like what is what is that it's like well i played on this little this uh, online league called uh nickel city and we we got uh andrew gave us a little corgi target locks and i use it i use it on my that's my um uh my Django one almost every time my jingle target lock even though i have like the gsp ones i like the corgi because it stands out on the table and so it's like for me it's a big trigger point to remember there you go trigger point to remember you know things that you're supposed to do um it helps me remember things with Django. so yeah 
All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining us this week. We will be back next week. I'm going to force JJ because Thanksgiving is Thursday, not Sunday. We will have an episode <laughs> on okay. on Sunday. I will say, do you, JJ, do you know if they updated TTS to play Battle of Yarvin at all? Um, as the last update that I saw on Friday, that is on their list uh, to complete. Um, so as far as I know, Flipster and the team are still working on having that um, that that actual scenario uh, load into TTS as a separate load. Um, so hopefully, hopefully soon, we'll see. Um, they just updated uh, TTS to have all the new pilots that were revealed for uh, Hot Shots and Aces, as well as the rest of the Siege Coruscant stuff. So all of those pilots are playable. Obviously, we don't have the points yet for the new uh, uh, Hot Shots and Aces pilots, but we do have all the Siege Coruscant stuff. Um, so yeah. Well, cool. If that sucks, I wanted to. I really, really wanted to do that that, that this week, but um, I don't know. We'll have to schedule sometime. Maybe um, I got to find out if Greg's streaming something on Friday, like he did last year for Black Friday, or not. If Greg's not streaming, maybe if JJ's not doing anything Friday night, maybe we'll resurrect and do some like um, jank tank thing or something like that, and just have like a fun night. I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll open it up to other things also we will be creating our survey for our next um you know like a theory craft discussion or whatever we want to do um uh, going forward so look for that um in your inboxes i guess not in your inboxes in your discord inboxes uh because we will have a google <laughs> form where you can fill it out and um i don't know yeah we can we can make that a, a thing that we that you can all join us for with that being said we're going to um, we're going to wrap the episode up. Thank you all for joining us. We will be back next week at some point, as well as next Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern.